It's Thursday, August 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, the one and only Morgan Housel. Happy Thursday. Same to you. Uh, we're going to dip into the mailbag today. Okay. I know it's earnings season. And and by the way, if you're a longtime listener and you've been wondering why Morgan hasn't been on in a while, uh, that's why. Because Morgan Morgan focuses on the big picture stuff. He doesn't do the day to day earnings stuff. That's that's a good story about why I haven't been on. <laughs> also, there's he's, actual some personal tension between us. Uh, there's that. No, also, that's not true. historically, you're kind of lazy. So. A little bit. <laughs> Um, but let's start with something that is earnings related, and this comes uh, from uh, one of our listeners in Texas, whose name I'm about to just uh, decimate. So I apologize from that. But it's from uh, Gokul Jagadish. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm I'm just botching that name. But anyway, uh, he writes: It seems to be the flavor of this earnings season, starting with Twitter, all the way to Zillow and Fitbit. And what he's referring to is. And we were talking earlier this morning about this. It really does seem like this is happening certainly more this earnings season than previous earnings seasons. And that is the tendency of a company to report earnings after hours and the stock moves in one direction instantly. And then whether it's the next morning when trading begins for average people like you and me, or when the conference call happens, maybe after hours, and it starts to move in another direction. And, uh, yeah. and in this case, I mean, again, maybe it's just me, but some of these are, we're not talking about 1% and 2% moves. Company t- reports earnings, and then it's up 10%, and the next morning, and it's down 10%. What is going on with this? I don't think we can definitively say what it is. My suspicion for things like this is that there are a lot of high frequency traders out there, these computer algorithms that are not. Run day to day by humans. They are computers that work with rules. That the very instant, within literally a fra- tiny fraction of a second, that earnings are released, these computer systems will scan the earnings release for keywords growth, increase, decline, keywords, and then the computers try to make an assumption about how good that earnings release was and trade on it in literally a millionth of a second without exaggerating. And when we're talking about after-hours trading, obviously the universe is much smaller. The number of people who are executing trades after hours is much smaller. Right, right. So my suspicion when you have these huge divergences is that a company will release earnings. These computer algorithms will instantly judge that it is good or bad and trade on it in that direction. And then when the humans come in uh, <laughs> and 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 read it and talk to management and really get a grasp on what's going on. The reality is a different direction. That's my suspicion about what's going on here. I think what's really important, though, is that if you're a long-term investor, as you should be, what a stock does today versus tomorrow, whether it's up today or down tomorrow, should really be of no concern to you. But I understand when people look at this and say this is crazy because it is kind of crazy. Well, it is. I mean, just not to pick on Fitbit, but I mean, they were up 10% after hours yesterday. And right now the stock is down about 14, 15%. So a yeah. 25 point swing like that. Although I, I, I got to say, part of me is heartened by this. Part of me is heartened by the idea that you actually do need human beings and that it actually does matter what happens on a conference call and, and people's judgment has not yet been able to be programmed into an algorithm that can. Tra- execute a trade in a millionth of a second. You know, there are a lot of concerns recently by extremely smart people like Stephen Hawking and whatnot that artificial intelligence poses a 
a huge risk for the human race. And I won't argue against that. Stephen Hawking, other people obviously know way more about this than almost anyone. But when you look at where artificial intelligence is today, and you see these kind of things in the stock market where it's just computers going completely nuts and haywire and really have, from an outward appearance, looks like they have no idea what they're doing. Um, maybe we're years off from that doomsday scenario. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully we're, we're very far off. Radio at fool.com is our email address. A uh, couple of email related to our conversation yesterday about Disney. First from Robin Rifkin in Seattle. I heard you and Bill. We know Robin Rifkin. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Friend of the Fool. Friend of the Fool and uh, a member and had a great time hanging yeah. out with him when we were in Seattle last yeah. year. Uh, was it last year? Was it no, earlier? No, that was, that was two months ago. That was two months ago. <sighs> Time's flying for you. Yeah. Well, also, you know, fewer brain cells. <laughs> I heard you and Bill Barker discussing the Disney Parks expansions on Wednesday's show. I thought I'd weigh in. Dollars to Donuts, the growth is all Star Wars themed. On a ski trip in February, I happened to meet a young woman who was a recently hired Disney Imagineer. She admitted she was working on just such a project in Orlando, Florida, and it was apparently a substantial undertaking. I don't know that it's actionable from a stock perspective, but it certainly notches in the plus column for me and for my kids. Um, and does, you know, as you and I talked about, and as Bill and I talked about yesterday, uh, does certainly play into the immediate future for Disney all about the Star Wars. It's all about the Star Wars. Uh, also from Andrew Stipe in Jacksonville, Florida. Were you growing up a huge Star Wars fan? I was a fan, but I was not a fan to the degree that some of my friends were. Okay, um, it was one of I, I first my, Star Wars first entered my consciousness. One movie theater in my hometown, and uh, you'd drive by it, and uh, it was the first movie I remember that they would promote on the marquee how many weeks it had been there. Wow. All the other movies, they would just list the movies and what time they were playing. And yeah. this was like, you know, for the seventh week in a row, for the eighth week in a row, that sort of thing. Yeah. And seeing the, the lines out the door, even, you know, even though it had been there a month. So, you know, I, that's probably when I saw it. It was one of those, like, I saw it and my, one of my friends at the time, he had probably seen it like three times before I saw it the first time. Yeah. Were you a big Star Wars? Well, I, not when it came out. That was that was too young for that. Yeah, I was going to say. Bro- yeah. My brother, who's older than I was, was, and even growing up, years or decades after the movies came out, I, I've probably watched Return of the Jedi two dozen times. It was, I feel my it was all my brother wanted to watch when we grew up, so I was drawn into it. Question from Andrew Stipe related to the Disney. Uh, Andrew Stipe in Jacksonville, Florida. I feel like the only person in the world who did not anticipate a huge drop in Disney stock. Uh, let me just stop you right there. Uh, you're not. There's no. <laughs> but let's continue with the email. I I was very bullish, thinking they had a very strong quarter. I read an article on Yahoo News the day before uh, earnings of a huge purchase of Disney puts. About five hundred thousand in premiums. Obviously, this person knew something, and now people who bought puts cashed in big time. How can I better anticipate earnings reports to take better advantage? Uh, did the fools anticipate a giant sell-off as well? Thanks. Um, I didn't anticipate this type of sell-off. No, I'm just speaking I, I, for myself. Let me say too that it's not at all obvious that the person who bought puts the day before knew something. Maybe that person did, but that's not at all. 
people are constantly buying and selling options on things. The vast majority of option contracts will expire worthless because the person who eventually opened those contracts was wrong about the direction in which people buy stocks, buy options to hedge their portfolios against. So the person who bought all those puts may have been uh, hedging a huge long position that they had too. So that person may have actually wanted the stock to increase. It's really not, uh, you know, consistent to say, well, this person bought puts so they knew something. I, I, I really don't think that follows. But there's there's a big disconnect between a company having a great quarter, which Disney did, and what is that going to do for the stock tomorrow? Like that that's not at all. A, a clean relationship that we can just say if you had a good quarter, your stock should rise at 9 a.m. tomorrow. This is not at all how it works. Uh, the shorter in time periods you go, especially when you're looking at a day to day basis, is really completely random and driven, as we were early, talking about earlier, by forces like high frequency traders that have a completely different motive than long term investors. Uh, so, you know, if you're a long term shareholder in Disney, a strong quarter should make you happy whether or not the stock goes up or down. At 9 a.m. the next day, and and I think we touched on this a little bit yesterday. But once you widen the lens beyond just one or two days trading, because Disney stock is down another you know four or five percent today, but it's up substantially in the last fu- but, in the last few years. Yeah. So to be, so yeah, if you just bought Disney stock, then yeah, you're disappointed because right. your shares are down. But right. if this is a stock you've owned for a year, two years, whatever, and by the way, you have plans to hold it for another. Five to ten more, right. then then this is uh, you know then this is really not and you know and I'll just speak for myself. I, I, this is one of those stocks that I intend to hold uh, and and not really worry about unless something very dramatic happens. And uh, by very dramatic, I mean Bob Iger is hit by a bus, or even worse than that, Mickey Mouse is hit by a bus. Maybe. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Mickey Mouse can't be hit by a bus. Was it who? Who was the guy? Was it Eisner? Was it Michael Eisner who was running Disney? I'm trying to remember who ran Disney when Jeffrey Katzenberg left to go break off and start DreamWorks. Probably Michael Eisner. I think it was Eisner. Yeah. And um, and I, I I may be attributing this quote to Eisner, and it was it was someone else who, who said it. But and and Jeffrey Katzenberg was uh, a a rock star. In the Disney management structure, so it was it was very much a news story when he went off to to start DreamWorks. But when asked how concerned he was that that this top talent was breaking out on his own, part of the response from Eisner was, uh, "Well, I'm not that worried because you know uh, Mickey Mouse doesn't have an agent, <laughs> you know." So just the idea that you know, and 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 it's a it's a it's a good line. But it also speaks to the larger truth for Disney, and for that matter, for DreamWorks, for any company that has intellectual property that they own. Can't then, walk out the door. Yeah, Mickey Mouse can't leave. Yeah, right. <laughs> the Pixar characters, the Marvel characters, they can't, the Star Wars characters, they can't leave. Basically, slaves. <laughs> well, that's a that's a dark way of putting it, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I suppose that's true. Um, before we get to our final story, thank you. To um, those of you who dropped us an email with suggestions for what Bill Barker can do on his trip to London, uh, a very nice outpouring of uh, thoughtful suggestions uh, for someone, frankly, who, who for the most part doesn't deserve it. But but thank you. Uh, <laughs> I have forwarded those on to him. Uh, let's talk about college tuition for a second because. Uh, I had retweeted. You sent me a chart this morning, and I said no. That's yes. wrong. I, well, before I sent you the chart, I mentioned this to you, 
And I said, oh, yeah, I retweeted this thing. And you're just like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. So <laughs> let, let, let me just give the context. Uh, it was a, a, a chart that I saw on Twitter, and the information is about college tuition. And it says, since 1993, average college tuition has risen by 234% while inflation only creeped up by 63% in the same period. And so when you look at that chart and you see and and college it's no secret that college tuition is rising. Right. So when I mentioned to you, oh yeah, college tuition is is 4x the rate of inflation. You're like, no, no, that's not a and I guess the point is not necessarily that it's wrong, but that just it's incomplete. To put it that way, it's incomplete. It's absolutely true that college, the sticker price of college tuition has surged at, I think, five or six times the rate of overall inflation over the last 20 years. What has also increased at a staggering pace are grants and scholarships. And if you look at the net price that the median student pays, the growth in that over the last 20 years is less than half the rate of the sticker price in tuition. So, what we've seen over the last 20 years are schools that are drastically increasing tuition, but at the same time increasing grants and scholarships. Just like any other retailer wants to say, hey, we're having a 50% off sale today. Even if they're not, it's just that you know you, you go to Jewelers or Banana Republic or something, they have a perpetual 50% off sale because it looks better for you. It is way more easy to get someone's attention by saying, tuition is $40,000 per year, but we're going to give you a 50% scholarship, than it is just to say, tuition is $20,000 a year. Thank you very much. So, what's really true, there are, of course, a portion of people who pay sticker price. It is, by and large, people who go to for-profit universities and upper-income individuals who don't qualify for grants and scholarships. Those people, or or people for for whom, for whatever circumstance you are paying the the sticker price, are taking the full brunt of this. The vast majority of students, however, have not seen the actual amount of tuition that they pay increase anywhere near the amount of the advertised. Why do you think? But uh, hearing all that, why do you think we continue to see all these stories about people in their twenties who are just coming out of college with? Debt, you know, ninety thousand, one hundred twenty thousand dollars worth of debt, and and the the narrative five years ago of oh millennials are living at home with mom and dad. Guess what? That's still the same. That's yeah. that that hasn't gotten better in the last five years on a percentage basis. I think what's really important about the student loan debate is that when you read stories about so and so graduating with ninety thousand, one hundred thousand dollars in debt. Those are by far the exceptions. I think it's less than 2% of students graduate with more than $100,000 in debt. The median student debt balance is, is $26,000, I believe. It was, it was $26,000 last year. It's probably slightly more than that. The median, which is actually less, I confirmed this recently, it's actually less than the average car loan. The median student loan is actually less than the average car loan. No one ever walks around saying, you know, we have a car loan crisis. But they do say we have a student loan crisis. And I'm not trying to belittle the student. It's, it's creating a huge problems for, for generations of people. But I, I, I do think, and I'm, this is a view that I don't think many agree with me with, but I think if you really dig into the numbers, it is a smaller problem than might appear on the surface. Because when someone is writing a story about the student debt crisis, they're always going to find the tiny subset of people who have gotten completely over their head without looking at the median or the majority of people 
who have who have quite a bit of debt and they might have trouble paying it off, but it's not nearly as much as it might look at first glance. I like that uh, you uh, have a child on the way. Yeah. It's, it's your first child, and yet you didn't wait for your child to be on the way before you started a college savings plan. That's right. Yeah, we 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 opened a. We've I've been saving for college for for years. Wow, yeah. that's great. That's great. See, that's why that's compound interest. Compound interest. That's one of the reasons you got to follow Morgan Housel on Twitter. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. Show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.